On the hilly coasts of Greece stands a monument which states, go tell the Spartans passerby, here in abeyance of their laws we lie. On the hillside is a place Leonidas fought to the last to defend the retreating Greek army. But what really happened there? So we know Leonidas as a super fit Spartan that kicked a messenger a pit in the movie 300. But what actually happened in the battle and leading up to what really happened on that battle that would lead to take Leonidas's life? Today I'm covering the Battle of Thermopylae. From what's leading up to that massive battle, the battle itself, and part of the aftermath. From the hills of Greece to the shores of Africa, from European flats to the American forests, this is History Through Military Action. This is Isel Productions Podcast. Hello, I'm Isaiah Lewis, your host, and this is the History Through Military Action Podcast. Okay, now we are on to the prequel of the battle. Darius, the first king of Persia, tried to persuade the Greeks becoming part of Persia by asking much of Greece to become part of Persia through messengers, as one usually does communicate, especially back in this time before email or phone calls. You know, ancient times, ancient Greece. So, with this, and knowing the Greeks are very bought in their ways, and probably not going to change. I don't know why he didn't think it was a lost cause, but... Athens threw the messengers into a pit. And Sparta followed close behind. This is represented in the movie 300 of when, when Leonidas yells, This is Sparta, and kicks a man into a pit. Those are... Well, at that point, they're probably Xerxes' messengers, not... not um, Darius, because Darius is Xerxes' father. Well, Darius never succe- successfully invades Greece. He's actually kicked out in the B- Battle of Marathon. And if you'd like to hear more about that battle, we may cover it in this podcast. Not in this episode, but another time in this podcast. Okay. But he is succeeded by his son, Xerxes. Xerxes ha- wanted to become the greatest king, as most do when it comes to ruling. And he wanted to surpass the acts of his father and be remembered as the man who conquered Greece. Oh, he sends out the same message, except to Athens and Sparta, already knowing their answer. Many Greek states already sided with Xerxes due to this threat, or stayed neutral in the conflict before um, Xerxes came and invaded the lands. Except for Athens and Sparta. Of course. The Athenians and the Spartans always trying to stand alone. Besides, this time they form up to join resistance. Xerxes sees this resistance under his armies as futile and calls for them to surrender. And the leader of the Spartan army, Leonidas, replies with this famous quote of Molon Labe, or come and take it. Xerxes, intending to do such thing, moves his armies crushing through North Greece, all the way down to where he has to invade Southern Greece, tends on using the, the Pass of Thermopolis to do such. Now to the actual battle, now that we know the background. Okay, so, the preface of the battle. So the Greek army had about 7,000 men, give or take. Seven to 10,000 men are about the numbers I found. Made up of volunteers from the surrounding areas and just people, warriors, hoplite warriors, and 
His plan was to defend this pass and defend this one pass and have a subforce at a small other pass. They'll come into great play actually later on this story. But that smaller force only had about a thousand men, leaving six hundred six thousand men to fight in the main battle, in the main at the main pass of Thermopylae. Well, the Persians had anywhere from seven seventy thousand three hundred to three hundred thousand of his as they put it, immortal immortals or his army that they called it immortals due to the fact that it was constantly regenerating and um, was able to keep up its numbers just because he could pull people from the populace or not really from the populace in this case but from the navy he, he had a massive navy following him he just pull ships off pull people off the ships and well Xerxes just planned to use his mass massive numbers to just overrun the Greek alliance basically Greek resistance on alliance okay so under the um, geography and topography of the events. The pass was an excellent place to defend in this mon this era's style of combat. The, the Spartans fought like in a hoplite faction. Fashion, not faction. Armored men with shields. They were usually wooden with a thin layer of copper or brass on the outside. Not brass. Brass was not made yet. Or bronze. That's what I'm looking for. And... A large spear with a small backup short sword. These shields were made of Greek metals, which were some of the best in the world at the time. And, of course, you know, the classic Corinthian armor that everyone associates with the Spartan. That cool-looking helmet that is... Yeah, there's... Isn't there, and there's football teams and stuff named the Spartans that use their helmet. But it was a Corinthian-style helmet with armor... With a chest plate usually made of leather or sometimes metal. But that was rare because it... it um, limited motion. So... This pass was very narrow, about 30 or 40 yards. Like, stupid narrow. This eliminated the large factor army that Xerxes was just going to see if he could throw at him. In open warfare, it would have been very easy just to overrun the Spartans and just keep marching towards Greece. But since the Spartans were smart, or the Greek army was smart, they decided, you know what, we're going to confront him at this pass. Because this pass limited the amount of men he could get into the pass to them. And Xerxes... But his his um, army wasn't well as armored or like weaponed, so the Spartans had, technically had him. He might have had the Spartans out um, numbered, but the Spartans had him outgunned in modern terms, because his people had yes they had spears and what, but they weren't as long nor as sharp or as strong as steel from or not steel as copper or bronze from Greece. But they also had archers. There is no talk of the Spartans or Greeks having archers. They probably did, but they weren't as effective in the fighting style that Greeks and hoplites are known for. So yes, they had the bat. The Spartans had the battle on their side, and they had the people outgunned. How did how did this battle lose? Be a great loss for them. Okay, we're getting into that now. Day one of the three-day battle. Day one. So. Xerxes started the fighting with a typical move of even modern militaries with an open barrage. Of course, this was with arrows from his archers, but when there's, you know, six or seven thousand of them all firing about at the same time, you get the point. It's it's a modern day barrage, but very much probably a little even more deadlier than most modern day barrages if you're not trying to bunker bust. It was really ineffective, though, against the more armored Greeks due to their shields and armor. After this barrage, thinking he had weakened his enemy just a hair, if any at all, he decided to 
put his army of 10,000 um, Medes, or ancient Iranian people, as what the Medes were called, or were from ancient Iran, and just basically throw them at the line of Greeks. The Greeks fighting fighting was in the standard Hoplite fighting style. Shoulder to shoulder, shield in front of them, overlapping the butt man next to him with a spear laid atop, it, laid atop and just, just stab him away, pretty much. Just... Guy comes up, jumps, you stab him with it. It's it's a really amazing factor. And it's even used mainly, if you look at, like, riot police, riot police still use this way of using shields. So, the pass was ba- made basically impenetrable by this Greek, Greek hoplite style of fighting. The Persians were suffering heavy losses this first day. This first day of combat, they were getting cut down like flies, left and right. Even as the hours turned on, the Greeks were smart in how they set out their battle lines so that they could switch out um, soldiers when one got, when one would get like hit and um, bashed back or and get tired, they would switch him out so he did not get fatigued from combat. Which is really smart because these fights would last days. Just because how slow they were, and how many, and honestly, how many men Xerxes had. Like, holy crap, this man had an army. This man had a massive army. So yeah, but he like estimated losses on this first day were like ten thousand alone. Like that army was wiped clean almost, except for f- very few wounded. Okay, so now we're on to day two. Day two happened much like the first, with a little more success. Few um, Greeks killed here and there, but not many, because the Greeks had better equipment and gear. But something else happened on this. Midway through the day, Xerxes became confused on why he hadn't broken the line yet, and called his man to camp to plan to um, try to plan his next stage. This is where a Greek citizen. And this is where history defers. We're not sure why the Greek citizen defected. We're not sure if it was because of Xerxes promised a reward or um, he was just trying to save his homeland from like, he might have done the whole thing of he assumed, hey, look, if I help him now, he won't destroy my home. But we're not entirely sure of why he did it. We know there was some sort of a reward that Xerxes promised citizens. So that was probably it, but... He gave them, he gave the Persian army information about a pass that went up and around the Thermopolis, the pass of Thermopylae, which um, would have put his army behind the Spartan and Greek army at this point. This is where that 1,000 men come in handy. This 1,000 men at the beginning that the Spartans had protecting that other pass was there just in case it was discovered. But... Um, this citizen's name was um, Ephrates, and he showed them this pass and went with them to do it. And Xerxes sent his commander Herons, Her- come on, Hardians, to close to cl- at the close to sun close to sunset. With twenty thousand of the immortals for a surprise flanking of uh, Leonidas's troops, and Xerxes and Xerxes' forces moved along the pass, signing the turning of this battle. Now onto the third day. 
those defending the pass above Thermopylae heard the 20,000 men marching towards them, and the um, Philotians defenders, the thousand men that were up there on the pass, other pass, jumped out in an ambush, the force surprising the other very unsuspected Hernandes. He he feared they were Spartan before being informed by the traitorous Fertes that they were not. The defenders fell back to set up a final stand style kind of fight, but Hurdy's in a hurry to get into position to completely encircle the main force, probably just volleyed them with arrows to hold them back, or sent a little bit of his 20,000 men to preoccupy them as he snuck the rest of his forces beside. But the Philotians, not leaving the main army uninformed, sent a runner out to tell Leonidas of the incoming encirclement. Leonidas called for a war council to decide how to deal with this upcoming force. Since by, law, by Spartan law, the Spartan could not retreat, even though this technically wouldn't have been a retreat, so Leonidas volunteered his 300 bodyguards and himself to hold off the enemy. This is much where the story of 300 comes from, but the story of 300 does not account for the other men that stay with Leonidas. So, we know... At least 700 thespians, led by General Demophorius, stayed due to their heritage and will to fight. And around 400 Thebians stayed because they had no home to return to due to the Persians already have destroyed it. And this made them mad wanting to fight back, of course. And many of the um, herlets her that were slaves to the Spartans, equaling about 2,000 troops. So, it was about 2,300 troops that the Spartans had to hold the pass at that point. Against the oncoming, at least 100,000 Zer army of Xerxes marching towards them. Orders are given and plans are made. And the, rest and the Spartans were to die for their honor, with their honor. As an aside before the battle, Leonidas was actually told by an oracle that he was going to die in defense of the Sparta. To ensure Sparta's continued existence. This could have also led to his decision to stay and fight. If all the troops would have fled. It would have opened up um, the Greek flanks to a Persian cavalry run. Which would, which would have been near deadly to the hoplite fighting style. Because cavalry at this time was king. Cavalry ruled the battlefield. As it did for many years. Many years. Up until literally the 1800s. Cavalry ruled. You couldn't defeat an army that had a successful cavalry movement just because they could move troops faster than you could. I mean, yes, there's times in history where they did, like much later with um, the King Alexander, but still, it was unheard of at this time for a good when a cavalry could be used effectively. Another reason this past was good, because it didn't allow them to use cavalry effectively, were you to lose the battle just because you could outlast your enemy. The rest of the army, the rest of the about 5,000-esque soldiers that were not in the Spartan army, were not in that force to hold them off, fell back to Athens to prep Athens for the coming force. Athens would be taken because they decided to evacuate instead of hold, try to hold Athens. Athens would be taken and they would fall back to another position where they would make their final stand for Greece. But that might come in another podcast. So let's get back into the actual story. So, if all the 
troops would have stayed, they probably would have been circled and killed off one by one after many hours of fighting until none of them were left standing. Leonidas made the logical call here, actually, by hearing of the encirclement force on its head. By noon, Xerxes had paused his main forces advanced to allow for the troops in the encirclement to um, completely scale the mountain and complete the encirclement. Xerxes used 10,000 of both his light infantry and some of his cavalrymen to charge Leonidas's line, which would lead to, um, after many shields splintered, many spears snapped, and even after Leonidas fell from, I'm guessing, a lucky archer shot, because he was killed by archer, by an archer, is when the um, battle finally kind of fell back, where the Greek army fell back to a final point to hold. And this is where some um, the thieves, the Thebians, trying to um, spare what is left of their volunteered people, surrendered. The king of the Thebes would have was taken prisoner and captured, and branded with a mark of um, mark of the people of the people of um, the Persia of Xerxes' mark until and then the rest of the men were kind of just volleyed out of existence while being constantly battered. They were just bashed into the ground, basically. But it, they were all slaughtered. All of them slaughtered mercilessly, and except for the Thebians, who cowardly surrendered to an army that... I mean, there was about probably 400 of them there, and they were getting slaughtered all day. There was very few of them that probably actually surrendered. Because that was just all was left at that moment. All of them are dead. All of them died, perishing by volleyed until they were finally just overrun. So that sums up the battle from Offley, basically. Xerxes won because he got the pass and got a march right down to Athens, basically, and take Athens that was abandoned. But he also took Corinth, which had people in it, and they fought back. Um. But that wasn't their main fallback point. Everyone, the Greeks kind of fell back and had one big last push at um, the battle of the battle of Sal Salmis is where they um, finally defeated the Greeks or defi finally defeated the Persians, not the Greeks. The Greeks didn't get defeated. They were able to push the army back. So let's get into losses. Everyone likes to know this number. So there's about there's an argument between. Um, the lost numbers of the Greeks. So, some say 2,000, while others say about 4,000. So I'm going to say it was a good 3,000 Greek losses. About 3,000 Greeks were killed in the fighting. Which makes sense when they're fighting a number of soldiers that were. Well, the Persians have anywhere from 20,000 um, 20, to 50,000 losses. This crushing casualty rate, even, like... Even two of um, Xerxes' own brothers were killed in this combat, they said. Twice Xerxes was said to stand up and look upon his battlefield in surprise and amazement about how well, and anger, because Xerxes had a very rage issue with rage, about how well the Greeks were holding him back. And this just thoroughly ticked him off. To the point when the battle was over, he had um, Leonidas' body sought out where he 
crucified it and decapitated it. Cutting off his head and nailing him to something to pretty much make a war post out of. Which was uncommon for the Persians because they usually had great respect for those they fought. Because just the way that they understood that if one fights against them, it's not bad for... Like, they fight on common ground. They fight for their country. So yeah, and after the um, Battle of Salamis, I'm not good at Greek. I, I will learn these later. But um, after that battle that pushed the um, Persians out, they bu- they um, built a stone, carved carved a stone in Thermopylae that has that insignia that I entered the episode with that um, any Spartan passerby's in accordance to your laws, your laws we lie. It's basically saying we fought with you, Sparta. We died with you, Sparta. This is where your great battle happened. This is where Leonidas died. And it took 40 years for the Persians to give back Leonidas' body to Sparta. So yeah, this this battle was known for... And the Spartans are known for it. Because for good measures. that The odds against them, even with the backup they had. 7,000 to an army. 7,000 to an army, like... Like twelve times their size, they had. They might have land, and had them out like gunned. They had them in technology, but still, it's like a Hitler in Russia situation. There was just too many men for them to fight back against. They might have came highly outnumbered, but they came ready for a fight. And Xerxes got his fight. But yeah. We're winding this down now, so... Yeah, Xerxes fought hard and fought brave, but it didn't do much for... In the in the long run, he still failed to capture Greece. And we'll probably cut, we'll cover the Battle of Solomus in this podcast at some point. So yeah, I'm Isaiah Lewis, your host and editor. This is an Isle Productions podcast. Please, would you, if you would, go visit my other podcasts that I'm helping run, that is the um, Trail Mix Through Time podcast. It's a podcast with me and a few friends. We get together and just talk about life. Talk about things that happen, things we believe, things going on in our life. It's just a teenage vent hole is basically what it is. It's cool. It's fun. It's very one-on-one personal stuff in ways. Not like personal personal, but like it's struggles and interesting topics. You should go listen to it and yeah if you like this podcast please share it with your friends your family your dog your dad share the link on your facebook if you wanted your instagram your snapchat your i don't know music not musically that's not a thing anymore tiktok yeah this is the history through military actions podcast and this is your host isaiah And I'll see you next time.